What's up, night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you during championship week in college basketball. Eric, it's the most wonderful time of year, isn't it? It is, and it's certainly one of the more wonderful and maybe exciting weeks in UCF basketball heading into a conference tournament in a while. Yeah, I know. That thinking back to maybe those late A Sundays when we both when we were good in both women's and men's, I think that's about the time when it was there was this much anticipation about it. But we'll talk about both. We got the obviously the uh, UCF women's team and their run in the American Athletic Conference tournament uh, came to an end at the hands of uh, UConn. Uh, the men's team is getting ready to head up to Hartford right now uh, to play in their uh, in their tournament, and we got lots to talk about with that. We've got baseball, we've got softball, we've got even some UCF alumni news uh, out of the NFL with free agency starting. Lots to talk about uh, on this show, so make sure you uh, follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can subscribe to us via email there. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. And look us up on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret as well. Uh, you can also uh, follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And you can also subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, on iTunes, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud, and, of course, TuneIn Radio. But let's dive in, Eric, with men's basketball uh, heading, into our, heading into their um, uh, American Athletic Conference run. And we're going to have Taylor Young, UCF's radio analyst, joining us once again to break things down at the end of the season and looking forward to the AAC tournament. But, uh, you know, they got the win against USF uh, to finish out the season and get win number 20. And, Eric, I don't know about you, but I thought that was how that game was going to go because USF, I thought, really played out of their shoes. Um, They wanted to get that win on senior day. They knew they could spoil our 20-win season in the regular season. Um at that point and I and somehow we squeaked it out didn't we we did and uh look BJ Taylor made some clutch shots that's one yeah, of the reasons did. why he's a all-conference second team member and then Taco Fall was a big factor on the defensive side altered some shots late for USF that's why he's the defensive player of the year in the American Conference it's a, they found a way to win it was huge to get them into a bye and they're the number four seed now going into this tournament. It was huge for them. And uh, you're right, USF was going to bring a lot of emotions uh, to that game. But look, the big thing is UCF has found ways to win. They found a way to win that game. They found a way to win the game at East Carolina. They found mm-hmm. a way to win a game at Temple. So they found a way to win at home against Cincinnati. That's the thing that's encouraging from this team is they have learned to find ways to win games, even when they haven't played at a high level. And that's going to be a key factor, I'm sure, uh, going up this week in Hartford. Uh, UCF's going to take on Memphis and Jeff and as coach Dawkins said when it's it's conference postseason time that means anything could happen expect the unexpected even though you played Memphis twice look, look back at the film we played them twice home and away we both split they won at home we won at home so there are things that we'll I'm surely take away from our games versus them and also you have to be ready for the unexpected you know in a tournament format you know people can you know surprise you uh, because it's just a one-game situation each time out, and they can do some things a little bit different and make adjustments. So you know, we have to be a little bit prepared for everything. There you go, Coach Dawkins. And look, I mean, who better than Coach Dawkins? He's played in these conference tournaments. He's coached in these conference tournaments. So uh, it's going to be exciting. Big game. I mean, UCF Memphis, four versus five. Uh, they split. Home teams winning. So I, I don't know what you could, you know, it's one of those things while both teams, I think, know each other and know their tendencies and certainly have keys. But I think as he said there, Jeff, I mean, it's a 
it's a one game deal. Anything can happen. Expect some of the unexpected to happen in these type of situations. Well, I don't know what to expect, but one guy who might tell us what to expect is going to be our guest for today because Taylor Young is going to join us here uh, to talk about uh, about UCF's the way UCF finished up the regular year and what they're going to expect heading into the American Athletic Conference tournament. And so, without further ado, here is UCF's radio basketball analyst, none other than UCF alum Taylor Young. And here he is joining us now, Taylor Young, UCF alum, former UCF guard. And now UCF's radio analyst joining us now to talk a little UCF hoops for the second time this season. And uh, T.Y., hey, thanks again, first of all, for coming on the show. You know how much we like you, and so much so that we brought you back a second time. <laughs> so, so what's and up, man? A, how you feeling? It's a pleasure to be on, man, and, and it's the best time of year because it's March. I know. It's, uh, it's really cranked up, man. Here we are now. You know, it's, it's tournament time all of a sudden. It seems like the season just barely got started, but... Um, you know, I, I guess this the, my first question for you is, is this where you thought the team would be back before the new year? Well, before the new year, if you asked me before the season started, I, I'd say no. You know, I, I think it's been remarkable. And then if you talk about before the new year, I think you were waiting for their thin bench to kind of catch up with them. You know, you just one or two injuries or uh, away from being devastated. And I'm amazed how they've weathered that storm. I don't think fans and and you know mark and i were on the radio talk about that enough you, know, you lose a chance mcspadden you know over the over the summer you lose somebody to eligibility issue that you thought you'd be able to have and um that's what i'm surprised about you know you and then they went on that skid in the middle of the conference and you kind of said oh wow maybe it's maybe it's caught up with them maybe they're tired and then to, to roll out five wins and, and playing the way they've played it, it really is remarkable yeah, they had that stretch where they lost six out of seven. And then that Tulsa win happened, and that was, you know, it went by 18 points. And then that was the key because, you know, that's, that's the first of that last five. And, you know, the win over Cincinnati was the real capper. We talked, you know, Lopez and I talked about the win over USF. The, the win over USF I thought I was really impressed by because we just did not play well in that game. They were ready for us. And they found a way to win. And I was, I've always thought, I wonder what you think about this. You know, the mark of a good team is, do you figure out how to win when you're not playing your best? And I thought that's what they did uh, down in Tampa. What did you think about it? Well, especially on the road, too. And, and you know, i got to tell you, you, after that huge Cincinnati win, you know, and USF having the season they've had, you know, leaving guys behind at the airport kind of thing, you know, right. you just – it just smells with the rivalry that's been in the past. It just smells like a trap game. Um, if you're going to use that cliche and, um, you know, as you turn the game on and you know, it's a couple point game and you're just struggling through it, you get late. And I think a team that's learned how to win and been through the fires just finds ways and has that just unconscious confidence that, hey, you know, we're going to make the right play. Somebody's going to hit a big shot. Somebody's going to hit a quick three and keep us in it. And you just do enough to, to give yourself that chance until the end. And, and then you're just super impressed by, you know, Matt Williams hit a big three. But then B.J. Taylor, I mean, the stretch they've had, when you think about the Temple game on the road, you think about the Cincinnati game, you think about that South Florida ending, he's been unbelievable. I mean, he's been the closer. He's been the guy that hits the step back three or 15-footer. They just kind of say, wow, you know, we would have lost that game without him. And uh, that's really what I looked at South Florida is just making plays when it counted and just that belief in the end that you were going to end up you know, getting the W. 
Which player has surprised you this year with uh, how he has played? Because really, we had a lot of question marks even within the roster, uh, whether it be Taco Fall. I mean, we, we both watched Taco Fall last year. He would play limited minutes. I never thought he would turn into the defensive player of the year in the American Conference and playing 30 minutes. I know you and Mark talked about that on the radio as well. B.J. Taylor, second team all-conference. But what's been the biggest surprise from a player standpoint from what you've seen? Well, I think Matt we- Matt Williams, you know, from the start to finish the year um, was a surprise. You know, knew that he was a good player, had a good career at UCF. But to put the stamp that he did on this season – break the records he did, um, the durability that he's played. I mean, I don't even think he's, he's missed a game and missed a minute. It seems like he's always on the floor. Um, so that's probably the biggest, most pleasant surprise, just how great he's been. Um, BJ, you, you kind of expected him, if he could stay healthy, just come into his own. Now in his third-year redshirt sophomore, just really playing like you thought and knew he would. Um, but, you know, it's been funny. I mean, if you look at the roster, and, and there's not that many to go down, right? So we could probably name them individually because we'd have that time. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of been some ups and downs. So Nick Banyard, you talk about having a really good start to the year, went through a lull. And then now that now that they're back in the winning streak, his scoring and his ability to make shots um, really helped them. So, and same thing with A.J. Davis. You know, I think he struggled when B.J. Taylor got hurt. And then in the middle of the conference when they needed him, he started making plays. He'd find you 12 rebounds. He'd you know, have a steal and a dunk to really keep you in a game. And so it's been an up and down season for, for just about everyone on the roster. Um, and no one's exempt. Um, then Taco, his conditioning, I think, regardless of what any expert wants to say, I don't think anybody expected him to progress the way he's progressed um, in his conditioning and, and his ability to not get hurt. I mean, I, you watch him dive on loose balls. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm like biting my nails. Right. Yeah. Thinking, gosh, you know, this could this could be it, but he's just he he's durable. Well, it's also a long way down when you're diving for a loose ball when you're seven six. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I remember we played with a guy Stanley Billing, six eleven, and, and just lanky, and I think he was like twenty nine years old, and loved the guy. But it, every time yeah. he dived over on a loose, coach was like, "Don't dive on a loose ball." Um, you know, this is dangerous. Yeah, from... yeah I, I, you're I, right. Oh, you're right. No, oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, because it's funny you bring that up, because I remember uh, talking to Coach Dawkins, and he's kind of said the same thing about B.J. Taylor because he's such an aggressive player, and he seems to always be falling down on the court. And Coach Dawkins, like, just be careful. Don't have to fall on the court all the time. We want to kind of make sure your career is lengthy, right? And that's a big part of it. Sometimes, I mean, we, we love the hustle plays and everything, but sometimes you got to protect yourself, don't you, as a player? Yeah, and, you know, when, when you play long enough and you get a, a good coach, they call that false hustle. You know, and that's part of the progression, especially in college basketball, is you know, you don't go for that steal that you know you don't have a chance at just to show that you're hustling and you don't fall down when you know you can stay up when you know you're not gonna get the call. And I, I think that's what Coach Dawkins was referring to. Are you worried that um that BJ might be doing a little bit too much? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think there's been games where I certainly think um, when you look at us offensively, I think Tulsa, and particularly on the road, I thought that was a game that really sticks out that they'd really like to have back. And I think after that game, they really did some soul searching as a unit. Um, but I think any time you have a point guard as dynamic as BJ is, uh, you know, a guy that can score really anywhere on the floor, especially when he's making shots from the outside, um, you you run the risk sometimes of the ball sticking a little bit and not getting that movement, not getting that fluidity, not getting into taco and playing inside and out and really relying early on 
you know, on his scoring and Matt Williams scoring. And, you know, if they're not making shots, then you're just not scoring. And I think that when you watch them go through the losing six out of seven, I think that was part of the issue, not necessarily BJ, but just not trusting to play inside and out first and to really take that first half and first four minutes of the game to get the ball whipping around and get everyone touching it and staying in rhythm. And then when you get a little later, you got the special players that are making plays, creating for themselves um, and making shots. So I think when they're playing really well, um, BJ's deferring early and then really closes the half and really closes the game strong. And I think when they are not playing well, uh, the ball doesn't go inside enough early. And then you're playing kind of reverse. You're going from outside in rather than inside out. So that'd be the one thing I'd say about that. Taylor Young joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Eric, go ahead, man. Your thoughts, Taylor, when you saw the draw? It ended up being Memphis 4-5 game. SMU wins the regular season. Obviously, UCF Memphis split the regular season. You called the game. When they played in uh, at the CFE Arena, when UCF jumped on them, they jumped them from the opening tip. I think it was like 12 nothing right off the bat. And really, uh, Memphis was never really into it. Uh, your reaction when you saw the draw, were you did you like the draw? Did you kind of say, ooh, uh, what was your reaction? L- like the draw. And, you know, that's the whole goal, right? When you know that you're not in that large bid, you know, all you're trying to do is put yourself in a position for postseason and, and making a run at this thing. And a lot of it comes down to matchups. And, uh, Mark and I talked about this weeks ago, actually, before we went on uh, one of the games and, and just talked about how we'd like to have Memphis. It's a team we've split with. It's a Memphis team that certainly is talented, but they're not overwhelming. And they're a team that I think we match up well with. Um, UConn's been tough for us. We haven't matched up well with them in the last year or two. So that was one that we'd really like to avoid in the first round. And so I think the draw of Memphis is as good as you can ask. Um Given our circumstances, although it's not going to be easy, of course, um, but you like your chances, um, you know, given the, the six out of seven that we dropped and then closing strong. What yep. concerns you about Memphis, seeing them in person? Uh, and you've seen every team in the league uh, in person except Tulane. Uh, you're, you, what kind of pre, what's going to be some of the keys for people to watch the Memphis game? And for that matter, going into this turn for UCF to be successful in the conference tournament. Yeah, you know, you look at. Uh, Crawford from Memphis, and that guy, to me, is the X factor. Uh, although he's one of their leading scorers, um, if he has a big game, they're tough. When he's making shots and he's making plays, uh, they're really tough. You know, almost take Dietrich Lawson to say he's going to get his. Ball's in his hands a lot, shoots a lot of free throws. Guy that'll probably have 18, 19, 20. But I think the game at home, Crawford really struggled, and we did a great job on him defensively. So, that's really what I look like. What kind of game does he have? You know, does he blow up for 2025 or does he have an eight, nine game where he really struggles? And I think that will be the difference ultimately in a, in a W or an L. Taylor, you played in games in, in conference tournaments before. How describe for those of us who've never been on the floor in that position, the difference between regular season intensity and conference tournament intensity on the floor. It's like, Everything you've done in the regular season, because it's truly that way, is gone. So you're looking at a guy across you, and it's, it's the most pure form of competition because there's the light at the end of the tum- tunnel. You know, so, somebody's dangling that one shining moment in front of your face and saying, this is your opportunity. All you got to do is go win three games, go win four games. And as long as you do that, uh, you know, your dream's going to come true. You're going to get everything you want. 
Um, so you have the every team's got that light. It's that fresh slate. You could be USF going to this tournament, and they're going to be saying the same thing as UCF saying in this tournament is, hey, well, let's go win three or four games. And so that's what's the intensity goes up because there's that belief from every team to say, hey, as long as we don't lose, we can shock the world. I remember when I was playing Houston, I think they were, I don't know, a six, seven, maybe eight seed in Conference USA. And they made that run, won the mm-hmm. tournament, ended up going into A. And that's that kind of dream for all these teams. And I think with that hope and that belief and that fresh start becomes just massive intensity. And you don't know what kind of crowd you're going to get. It depends on when you play, who you play. And in different venues, sometimes the crowd can be a lull or sometimes it can be uh, bananas. And I'm interested to tune in to Hartford and see what kind of crowd they're able to, they're able to bring. Well, and the rims and the arena is a factor too, Taylor, yeah. right? Because I've noticed in a lot of these conference tournaments, uh, for example, the ACC this year is playing at Barclays. Uh, the Big Ten's playing in D.C. Uh, a lot of these players haven't seen these courts before. I know Hartford's different, but there's an adjustment period, too, to the surroundings of where you're playing as a player, right? Yeah, rims are tight. That was one thing when we played the Gators at Amway. Uh, you had a couple of the Gator players that were complaining that, uh, you know, the rims were tight, and it's, it's just a different atmosphere. It's outside of your comfort zone, and the teams that can adjust and defend are the teams that really have an opportunity, and I think that's why UCF – matches up well because they can defend and whether that three ball whether they're shooting 45 percent or 35 percent they still usually give themselves a chance to win at the end here's what i like about our draw ty we've got so you you get if assuming you get through memphis not to look too far ahead but uh in the bracket you're more than likely going to get smu because they're going to play the winner at temple in east carolina they're the one seat so now you know the wheels in my head start turning you face smu in the semifinals if you beat SMU and you get to the championship game, you're going to be playing most likely Cincinnati or Houston. And then I'm starting to think to myself, well, okay, well, what then does UCF have to do or what can UCF do to get to possibly the NCAA tournament if, aside from obviously winning the whole thing outright? Right. And that's the million-dollar question. And, you know, if, if you beat a team like Memphis, although they're not the Memphis of old right now, still a name brand, you beat them twice, then you go through SMU. Let's say you compete through Cincinnati, whether you win that game or not, say if you lose it late. You know, the one thing, the American, I believe it's one of the last, if not the last games. Played. It is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's the last one. And, and regardless, will anybody wants to tell you to say that stuff, doesn't matter. It matters because everyone's tuned in. The selection shows in a couple hours. So you really have your opportunity to be that kind of last thought in people's mind. Um, so you never know. You never know. I mean, I think the resume is put yourself, if you go through that run, that you're in the conversation. And I think any sort of bubble or hopeful for the NCAA tournament, that's all you can ask for. Give me your thoughts about the rest of the conference. You've seen everybody, as I mentioned, in particular SMU and Cincinnati. They're the top two seeds. They kind of ran away with the regular season uh, race, really, with SMU edging out Cincinnati. Why are those two teams particularly so good? uh, And and what's going to be the key to knock either of them off uh, come this tournament? Sure, and and they're quite different, too. You know, Cincinnati's a a veteran guard team um, with a big man that can score. Um, when you look at Cincinnati's guards, they're able to shoot. They're very disciplined. I mean, Mick Cronin with Cincinnati, 
one of the best coached defensive teams consistently in the country. Oh, yeah. And when you get they around three or four years and they're talented, um, that you know that's why they've had the year that they've had. Um, it was along with Kyle Washington and his transfer um, and his talent. So team like that, you know, offensively, UCF put put them in a place I haven't seen them watch this year. Defensively, they just dominated Cincinnati, and Cincinnati just couldn't get it going. So, you know, that's really the X factor because you know Cincinnati is going to defend. And, you know, look at SMU. Um, they just – you just feel good watching them, man. I mean, they're, they're basketball the way it's supposed to be played. I mean, they got five guys spread out. Everyone can shoot it. Everyone can pass it. No one really cares who gets theirs. Any guy can give you 20, 25. Uh, but they're not very deep. So if you talk about getting them in quick foul trouble, if you can put them in a position to where it just doesn't come easy and maybe you get off to an early start, um, I think that would be effective against SMU too. And you just hope that, you know, that depth or that lack of depth, um, you know, can really, can really hurt them. And then also inside, um, they're not the heftiest team. You can hurt them inside, um, although it does create matchups. Uh, on the other end of the floor because they spread you out so much. So it's a challenge, but I look at it and say, you know, we can go back to those Memphises of old and Chris Douglas Roberts and all this stuff. By the way, Jeff, I love that we're saying, you know, you just get past Memphis. I, I love right. that we're just assuming that and that's where it's starting <laughs> right. because that, Who would have thought me, that like, back in the day, huh? What do you mean get packed? You know, Joey Dorsey's <laughs> over there. What are you talking about? Yeah. Derek Rose is over there. Oh, just get past uh, Derek Rose. We'll be fine. Chris Douglas, Robert, CDR, man. I mean, yeah. holy mackerel. Those guys, were, I mean, those guys really, you went into that game, you said, man, we got to play a perfect game to beat these guys. And not a lot of people did it. Right. You know, so that, well, I don't think right. either of those teams are them. No, and let me ask you, I mean, it's funny you bring up those Memphis teams because I think you posted a photo on social media the other day because I think we have a coming up to the 10-year anniversary of the last game uh, that UCF played at the old UCF arena. In fact, there was a photo of you. You were on the bench and you were cheering on. You were like, you know, very vocal there. What was it like uh, back then? And then, you know, being around the program because I think you were there that year where UCF finished uh, as a redshirt, right? You were redshirting when UCF finished second in Conference USA. And I remember that because the joke was, well, Calipari and Memphis are going to win the regular season title. So who gets to win the championship second place? Which UCF did in the regular season had that um, an emotional win against Houston. I'll never forget. Where Michael Donald hit a three in overtime. Uh, I mean, what was it like to be back then playing where Memphis was on this different level, but yet you still had a lot to play for and pride and, and obviously the atmosphere back then. Yeah, but that's yeah. how it was, right? It was it was, yeah. it was Memphis was a national contender, and they had yeah. three or four NBA players. And, you know, you were a college basketball program that was looking to compete and make something happen. But you talk about that UCF team, that, that gives me chills talking about that. I'll roll the ball up and pick up with that team. Uh, I mean, they're one of, in my opinion, one of the most well-rounded, talented teams. I mean, Jermaine Taylor, Josh Peppers, Mike O'Donnell, Dave Noel, Lavelle Payne in his second year after Juco. Guys that if you're a UCF fan, you should know. Um, and that year was unbelievable. And I, well, I, I don't remember what we finished, maybe 22 wins. Um, really 22 and 9. Court. 22 and 9. Yep. And then lose at a buzzer beater from Morris Allman at Rice in the, in the first game that we play in the, in the quarterfinal. So, but it was, it was like that, Eric. It was Memphis. You know, you, but it was fun, though. You're playing against John Calipari, you're Tyree Gevins, Derek Rose, Joey Dorsey, all these guys of the year that you now watch on TV or some of them you do. Um, so it was a good and a bad thing because it certainly 
deleted a lot of hope for those teams to really make a run in the conference tournament and win it and get that bid. Uh, but it gave you kind of that national exposure to that talent. And that and, and that was one of my favorite, and I've said that, it's one of my favorite years of UCF basketball. It's one of my favorite teams of all UCF sports. Uh, it was just fun to watch. You mentioned the roster, and you all got behind Coach Sparrow. I mean, that was the thing. Coach Kirk was – there was that video footage on social – on YouTube there where he's chest bumping with the <laughs> on the in the locker room after an emotional win against Southern Miss. And, you know, if we had the, today's postseason, you guys would have been a postseason team if we had the NIT and the CBI. Like, we, you know, they didn't have uh, the CBI back then. They didn't have the uh, the deep NIT back then. Uh, of course, Kirk now is an assistant at Iowa. They're trying to get to the tournament. But what was it about him? You guys, because you guys, you it seemed from afar, you guys would run through a wall for coach. Well, man, I, I, I still would. And uh, he's a guy who really just grows on you. I mean, when you, he, he challenges you as a coach, a man of integrity. You know he cares about you. Um, but he's going to hold you accountable. And that year, whether anybody wanted to admit it or not, everyone knew his job was on the line. And that's just the business. But, shoot, I was roommates and teammates with his son. I mean, there's family involved. And, you know, when you had that atmosphere, you could see every game. I remember when we were up 22 at Houston with 10 minutes to go and we lost in overtime. And you knew his job was on the line. You weren't playing for yourself. You were really playing for him. And, man, I just looked at him physically. And it was it was just that kind of emotional year. And, one of the most fulfilling years of basketball in my life, even though I was a practice player. Well, it's yeah. You know, I think back to you know that season, and you know I, I was actually away. I was living in Georgia at the time, but watching the team from afar and seeing what you guys were doing that year it was it was it was really astounding. Because you know when I was a UCF student, we were doing and uh, and Eric and I, you know, we both did play by play when we were students uh, for you know for number of different sports but they allowed they were they they were kind enough to let us do men's basketball i mean i called some of those games including the championship game uh in 05 when we were in the a sun and on that roster i mean you i mean you know this just as well as anybody i mean they were you know there were still some guys who were holdovers from some of that from that sort of a sun era and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you jump up from playing teams like you know jacksonville and now you're playing you know with the bright lights on in memphis i thought that was just an amazing coaching job by Kirk, um, at, at, you know, for that year. And it, it, when, when you think back to, you know, what this team now has to do, you know, with, you know, obviously different circumstances with, you know, you're, uh, you obviously have a first-year head coach with Johnny Dawkins, but I, Eric and I both said this before, that th- this team sort of calls back to that team with, those, with their style of play, I think, and how – they have and how they've improved over the course of the year and really would jump through a wall for their coach. Do you feel the same way about that? It's yeah, it's heart. You know, it's that X factor that, uh, you know, doesn't show up in how many stars somebody has when they're coming out of high school, but it's just a, a group of men that are bought in and, you know, defensively when you watch them play, I mean, that Cincinnati game at home, like you're inspired to go to work the next day, yeah. you know, that it's that kind of brand of basketball to where, you know, even if you've never watched basketball and you're not a fan, you're like, man, these guys are getting after it. And then you couple that with the coaching job, job that coach Dawkins has done. Um, you know, when you get down to the X's and O's of it, he uses taco fall and Matt Williams 
a lot of times, uh, you know, it's a work of art, puts them in great positions to score. Um, but when you couple all of that, I, I think you're right. It, it goes back to that, um, that sort of buy-in. And so, you know, and, and there's so many different points of adversity that, that this team and this UCF squad doesn't end up where they are in right now with a chance to make a run. Um, the, the fact that they're here um, with the adversity they face with injuries and a thin bench, a new coaching staff and a new culture, um, it, it really is inspiring and it just makes you fired up to be a fan. All right, let me ask you the $64,000 question. UCF is going to win the, Atle- the American Athletic Conference tournament if, and fill in the blank for me, if what happens? There's an upset along the way. Okay. You know, if you, know, you talk about having to go through SMU and Cincinnati, and there is always a chance that one of those guys could go down. And I think if one of those guys goes down and UCF's playing well and they're playing good basketball, I think they have a shot to do that. And, of course, they have a shot if none of, you know, neither of those teams go down. But I think, you know, to fill in the blank for that, was it $63,999 a dollar question? <laughs> it would be, if one of those Cincinnati or SMU uh, takes an L and, and, uh, before they see UCF. The fact that this tournament, by the way, Taylor, real quick, obviously, assuming they get past Memphis, I mean, there's no days off. I mean, it's back to back to back. Uh, I know UCF played in Charleston earlier this year, similar style. They played three games in three days. Is that a big factor because of the lack depth? Is that a is that a big issue or is that overblown? You know, I think these guys have played a lot of minutes. They've been thin and you got guys that play in 35 plus minutes each game. And at this point, you're putting it all out there. Uh, you're not an at-large bid team. This is what you play for, and it's bananas and Gatorade, baby. You just <laughs> you just survive in advance, and you cramp up, and when you do, you get out, and the next guy comes in, and then you get back in there. So this is like going back to AAU basketball when you have four or five games a day, and and you know you're going to be in rough shape at the end of it. You just you just find a way to do it. So I think it's overblown, um, but it certainly is a factor because it just depends how tough a unit is, and I think UCF's got that in their favor. Bananas and Gatorade. That's awesome. Are you heading up there? You know, I'm not, man. I like to stay where the weather is sunny and warm. It's got to be freezing up in Hartford right now. Hey, even if it wasn't, I would say it is. And I'm going to be inside and in my house watching and tuned in. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to just being a fan this weekend. Oh, boy, it's 46 degrees and rainy right now in Hartford, Connecticut. I'm close for that. Yeah, man. yeah. Good. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I was in Connecticut last year for softball. We got snowed out, and, I, and trust me, yeah, I don't – you're making the right decision. Mark's got it, man. Mark's got it. He's got it. He's got it all controlled over there, you know? Let, yeah. him, let him deal with the weather. Yeah. <laughs> Call up Mark. Say, how's, this, how's the weather up there? You seen the sun yet? No, he'll, he'll send me a picture, and it'll be something like that. He'll send me a picture, and he'll say, hey – Great weather in Hartford, but, you know, had a good meal today or something like that. He always has some good captions of the script that really set it up. <laughs> All right. Taylor Young joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Taylor, we appreciate you as always, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, have a good one, fellas. See you. All right. Oh, by the way, before you go, hey, uh, how can people follow you during the tournament? And uh, what are you going to be doing? you going to be tweeting during some of the games? Live tweeting, man. I, I hope to. You know, and if I'm not, I'm going to want to be. But it's you just – it's Taylor – uh, B Young, all you know together. Taylor B is in boy Young on Twitter. All right, Ty, thanks again, brother.
All right. See you guys. Our thanks to Taylor Young. Stick around. The Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF Sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF Sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. And uh, all right, so we got our men's preview. Now let's do a little women's basketball uh, review here. As the Knights currently uh, at 20 and 11, but of course the story, uh, their performance in the American Athletic Conference uh, Championship. Uh, got the four-point win over the five-seed two-lane on Saturday, and then that set them up. You know, they were the four-seed, and then that set them up to play against UConn. Now, the game was on national TV, Lopez. I actually watched the game, and UConn, you know, like like we expected, they did UConn things, right? Um, final score of the game was uh, 78 to 56. Now, before you go saying, oh, well, you know, UConn, U- UConn did what UConn's supposed to do. 31-0, and 0, by the way, UConn is at this point. Let's give some credit to UCF for slowing, what I thought actually slowing UConn down, at least as, as, as good as anyone could have hoped to slow them down in the conference uh, championship. UConn ended up obviously winning the championship, and they did so in spectacular fashion over... Um, over uh, USF in the final. Um, it was really an impressive performance. Uh, they defeated USF 100 to 44 in the final. But uh, you know, let's you know, let's not let's not sleep on the fact that you know of UConn's three games, UCF gave them the best game. They were UCF was the only team to hold UConn under 100 points, and they held them to 78. They were the only team to hold UConn to less than a 40-point deficit. Um, and, and I thought that it was sort of an instant replay of what UCF did in the first game against UConn, where they really slowed the game down. It's the only way that you can beat them. If you try and get in a track meet with them, forget it. They're going to do what they did. You know, We saw Katie Lou Samuelson of uh, UConn score 40 points and hit 10 out of 10 threes against USF in the final. Um, but UCF, UCF, you know, to uh, to the Knights' credit, um, did not allow that to um, to sort of overtake the game. Um, you know, granted, you know, like I said, UConn's going to do what UConn's going to do. Uh, final tally, though, uh, you know, Zai Lewis was nine of twenty six, including four of fourteen from three. She had twenty two points to lead the team in her fi- well, maybe not her final game at UCF. Aliyah Gregory, who I thought was strong in the early going, finished six out of eighteen. UConn adjusted the defense to kind of shut her down later on in the game. Uh, the Knights shot 36%. UConn shot 50% on the nose, including 16 to 25 in the second half. But um, I, I know this sounds like, you know, remember the old, you know, people complaining about the whole moral victory thing with football in the past 20 years? But was this 
Can you spin this into a positive for UCF, what they were able to do against UConn, losing by only 22 points at Connecticut, basically? Yeah, I mean, look, it was a competitive game uh, for a little bit. Uh, we didn't back down, the... I thought, in that game. That's what I thought. Well, no, and, G- and Gino, Gino, to his credit, I mean, the postgame, he talked about how UCF's a physical team, and I think it gave his some of his players some, you know, uh, some some issues, and I think from a defensive standpoint, uh, you know, I think that's the key. Is UCF is very good defensively. The problem is UCF just doesn't have the firepower to keep up with you know you can then again nobody does. Nobody so, does. There are some right, men's but, teams that don't have the firepower. No, no, but I I think if you look at it, I think UCF's defensive style is kind of the blueprint, right? If you want to match up with UConn. And, you know, have a shot from uh, that standpoint. Now, you got to get more talent, obviously. Yeah. But that kind of style, be physical with them. And I think that's the key. See, USF, they, they took you the air th- out of the ball. They really did. And that's what, yeah. they, that's what happened. That's what I thought was the advantage for USF. Right. You can't run with have them. a shot. They had to do that. Right. See, like the problem is, and you've seen USF in person in comparison. They're not a physical team. So that's why UConn, you know crushes them <laughs> you know, because right. it, it just it's you know it, and the that, other thing that's is the remember, style that UConn plays and if you get into exactly. a track meet with them forget it they're going to beat you every time right correct and that's what USF likes to do and that's the problem they're just you know that's the problem with it and plus I also said if you remember I think we talked about this in a previous podcast about when would you rather play UConn would you rather play them earlier in the tournament or in the final uh and a lot of people would say well take them in the final hey at least you get to the final not my argument was your best shot to knock them off was before the final. Oh, yeah, when they're looking once, forward to it. Exactly, because once they get to the final, it's kind of like, hey, the, the door, you know, it's the closing, you know, the last 10 meters of a 100-meter dashed. And unfortunately, USF found that out. So, uh, no, I thought it was a lot of positives, and I think it showed the improvement too, right? Don't you think as you oh, were yeah. at the – when CF played UConn on New Year's Day, uh, the improvement that this team – in fact, Coach Abe afterwards in the postgame press conference in the tournament – Talked about the remarkable improvement of this team going from seven wins basically last year to 20 wins this year and the marked improvement uh, on this basketball team in this season. Really, really proud of our team and, you know, just the big picture overall. Um, 20 wins last year. We won, they won seven games and this year we won 20. Um, and you see that there's still a lot of fight left in them. And, you know, that was the biggest thing for me, big picture, was to train our players to hate to lose. Um, and now they're to that point that they're going to fight all the way down for 40 minutes no matter what. And, you know, and that's it's really how I want their mindsets to be all the time. And, and so I was just really proud of their effort. Well, she's right about I, that. I, I, can't, I can't remember a team that, that... – um, that grew as much in, in all the years I've been looking at UCF women's basketball. I, I don't remember a team that grew as much uh, over the course of the regular season as much as this team did. No, I mean, think about the player like Aaliyah Gregory. Who would have thought she'd be turned into a first-team all-conference member like she did right. this season? But she ended up, Zy Lewis ended up being third team, by the way. But first team all conference. I mean, one of the more improved players, and uh, they maximized those two offensive players. You had the rebounding inside and physical play with Massey and and, and Tolu and and that group, and that you know they were able to maximize and turn into a very good defensive team. And then the offense started to get better as the year went on. And uh, look, that's why you know I don't think that's their last game, right? I think everybody's very confident UCF will be in the women's NIT come next week. Their RPI is in the mid-90s, 
at, at the at the time of this recording. Uh, yeah, I'm looking they, at it right they, now. Right at, right there in the mid nineties, they're at ninety five. Yeah, and you know the belief, you know, and talk being on campus and talking to people, I think they feel optimistic and confident that a they'll be in the women's NIT, and then b that they will host an NIT the the first round game. Uh, now the women's NIT takes place Wednesday uh, through Friday. Uh, the 15th right. through the 17th. First round is, yeah, March 15th through the 17th. By the way, yes. selection for the women's NIT, mark your calendars, Monday, March the 13th, so the day after selection yeah. Sunday. Uh, which will be a little, probably a little late night due to the you know, NCAA will come out in the women's NIT. So uh, my prediction, all right, I'm just going to throw this out there, and you could play this back next week and say I was a genius or I'm a fool, or both. Um, I think they will host – I think they will play on Wednesday the 15th, and I think they're going to host the loser of the A-Sun tournament uh, between Florida Gulf Coast and Stetson. For those that don't follow, Florida Gulf Coast and Stetson have been the dominant, dominant top two teams in the A-Sun now, going for three to five years. Uh, Stetson won the regular season for the first time in uh, program history this past yeah. season. This Lynn season Bria, former Lynn- UCF uh, uh-huh. head coach. Correct. So they would host. Now they're playing the semis. Uh, they play them in the semis in Deland. And then the championship game, if Stetson were to win their semifinal, they would host Florida Gulf Coast. It's a big rivalry, uh, but they're both very good teams. Florida Gulf Coast is a very good three-point shooting team, and et cetera. Uh, I think the winner, obviously, is going to go to the NCAA tournament, if it, assuming it's one of those two teams. Uh, whereas I think the loser, whichever team doesn't win that tournament, will end up in the women's NIT, and I think that's going to be UCF's opponent for a couple reasons. As you mentioned, the women's NIT doesn't get announced until late Monday night. Mm -hmm. So the easiest thing to do is have UCF play one of those two teams on, let's say, on a Wednesday uh, because it's a bus ride for either team. You don't have to get on a plane on Tuesday you could bus literally. You could bus it either late Tuesday or early Wednesday morning if you want. Right. Uh, and as we know, the NCAA like does not like to spend money. So what better way to just have an in-state game? <laughs> um, we'll get into that in this May when, when softball and baseball comes around to, pro season. But um, so I think that's going to be the matchup. And the reason why I keep saying Wednesday, Jeff, this is something to keep in mind uh, because there's always dialogue between, hey, can you host and all this stuff? And and you know, from what I, I'm sure UCF has put in a bid to host the NIT and all that. But as you know, and you know this probably actually better than anybody because you've worked there, so you know what I'm about to say. Because <laughs> you know this week is not this next, the upcoming week's a hectic one because the NCAA tournament first two rounds this year, uh, Orlando's a location at the Amway Center, right? which will be taking place on Thursday and Saturday. Well, who? what majority of the staff is going to be working that NCAA tournament, Mr. Sharon? Well, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be uh, – it's, it's, it, it, I'm not 100% sure, actually. It's going to be either Stetson or UCF. And both. Uh, majority, yeah. yes, it'll be UCF. A lot of the UCF personnel will be working that NCAA tournament. They usually – like two years ago, it was very similar. Usually with Stetson and UCF worked together on that, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, split up the crews, like stats crews and stuff like that. So my point is a lot of the people are not going to be available, for example, that would normally work a women's basketball game on a Thursday. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, go to Friday, the dates you mentioned. Well, baseball's got a home game against Jacksonville. Softball's got a home game against Baylor. Again, faculty, you need staff people – 
to work those two events. Right. I'm not, you know, you know. So my point is, I think from a UCF standpoint, if they're going to host that women's NIT game, they're going to probably say, you know, as a favor, can you can we we would prefer to host Wednesday when there's nothing going on and we have people available to uh, help us. Uh, work that game, and I don't see a reason why they can't. Uh, the NIT could, you know, not help them and oblige in that because it's a really simple thing. You put you Florida Gulf Coast or Stetson, whoever loses that can get a bus. I mean, obviously Stetson and UCF are very close, thirty to forty minutes. That's easy, and even Florida Gulf Coast, you could do a three-hour bus ride. Um, now, if you want, since you've got the RPI, you can kind of can you give me uh, the Stetson and Florida Gulf Coast RPIs? Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe. Both of them are in the hundreds. Um, Stetson right now is 98. They're actually three spots woo! behind us. And where's Florida Gulf Coast? I'm looking. I'm actually trying to search for them right so, now. Uh, oh, the there we are, I, 103. Okay, and the reason why that's important, Jeff, uh, and I single that out, is you know RPI is part of the equation. They'll say, okay, who has the higher RPI? Okay, well, you get to host. Um, and, and and the thing with the ASUN tournament, it's not like there's going to be like that marquee win that's going to help your RPI. Let's be honest. Whoever wins the tournament will obviously not matter. But uh, right. if you lose, uh, that's a big factor. So but I guess the rambling, I think UCF's going to host a women's NIT game. And I think it's going to be one of those two teams. Uh, if you want, you could float in Jacksonville. You could check their RPI, Jeff. And Jacksonville, see what by RPI. the way, 94th. Wow. So ahead of Stetson. But of course, you know, they, you know, depending on what ha- uh, they actually uh, I haven't checked, and I don't know where their situation is. Is in the conference tournament, but uh, they might be done or may not be done, and who knows? I the loser of Stetson, Florida Gulf Coast is going to get in before Jacksonville. But Jack, you're right. Jacksonville is a contender to be a possible opponent, uh, and the fact that UCF finished fourth in a very good league, by the way, the American Conference, which I think will have three teams into the NCAA's with USF, Connecticut, and Temple. Uh, I, I think UCF is in good shape to host. We'll find out, like you said, late Monday night. Uh, but who knows, Jeff? We could be on call, right? <laughs> hey, my, be, stand by. I, I've got my, <laughs> I've got my cell phone on vibrate or not on vibrate. Yep. Right? I got it ready to Get go. Ready. So. ready, but uh, it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal success, regardless. Unbelievable. And and, and by the way, uh, Florida Gulf Coast uh, currently, right this instant, leading Jacksonville. Uh, by seven in the fourth quarter. So there's that. And then I think I saw the Stetson result from earlier. Stetson was hosting a team against Kennesaw, Stetson, right? Oh, yeah. Stetson beat Kennesaw by 30. So, Well, so that's big because Stetson will host the championship game. Yeah. So that's the significant. And the reason, and, and I know some of the our audience may not care, but I'm a big Limbria fan uh, for the record. Uh, I've no, I've talked to her. I've known her. I know I got friends of mine in the UCF, and you know this. Yeah. There's people in UCF that are big Lynn Bria fans still to to this day. Uh, in yeah, fact, she there really were was genuinely beloved when she was here, and yes. stunk how, how, how awesome person. Yeah, awesome person. I met you know I I talked to her last year. As a matter of fact, UCF played Stetson last year in Deland. I was there for the doubleheader. They did a doubleheader, Jeffrey, like the old days. I know women's basketball, and then the men's basketball it was a lot of fun to be there. So I got a chance to talk to her. Awesome, genuine person. Uh, does By the way, you know, she job. signed a contract extension it's extension at Stetson through 2021. Well, and you know what helped that, right? Because her name was getting floated for the UCF job last right. year. You know how this industry works, uh, which is a great segue, Jeffrey. You're a master at this. Real quick, the Florida Gators job became available. Yeah, open this week. Amanda Butler mm-hmm. was fired. So, obviously – 
people that cover women's basketball speculating on what direction Scott uh, Strickland, the athletic director, the new AD, no more Jeremy Foley, remember that, mm -hmm. will go in, which is interesting because – and I talked to a friend of mine about this. This is very interesting about it. For Strickland, it's a unique situation because this might be the only significant hire that he does during, uh, for a while Right. when you think about it. Normally when the new AD comes in, you know, there's a lot of programs that are in question marks, right? Um not at Florida, obviously. Uh, Mike White's doing a heck of a job at Florida. He's good to go in men's basketball. I think you and I are big Jim McElwain fans. I think he'll be fine in football. Uh, well, Kevin you know, well, most likely, more likely than not, McElwain will be fine. He should be. I mean, I, 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 I agree. I agree. But the, they're Florida football fans. They think that they True. should go 11 and 0 every year. You know, I mean, that's a great point. Valid point. Valid point. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan is one of the better coaches in baseball in Florida. Tim Walton, obviously proven with a two-time national champion in softball. So my point is, this might be the Strickland's only big move for a while, as far as as AD for Florida, as far as a coaching hire. And it's going to be interesting. Does he go for a big splash? Does he not? Uh, Coach Abe has been brought up as a name that could be a candidate uh, for that job, and that's I think something that we're going to have to get used to, Jeff. It's weird. Uh, I think her name will always be a frequent uh, name that's going to pop up frequently for a lot of big jobs. Don't you think? I feel like she's going to be one of those coaches that's going to be brought up for every big job. Yeah, quite possibly. But I think that the other part about that is if you're Coach Abe, and maybe the way that we played against UConn was a factor in this, but you know, UConn is the golden goose, right? So why leave for somewhere else where you have your shot to knock off to knock off big bad UConn. And if the, and if she has a chance to develop UCF into a team that, you know, I mean, UConn is not going to win every game forever. Okay, everyone knows that. Sure. All right. Are you sure? They're, okay. they're, <laughs> they're, well, Are you sure? It, well, <laughs> I, I know I know for a fact, I know for a fact that Gino Auriemma is a human being and he will eventually <laughs> not coach anymore due to one reason or another. So when that happens, you, someone's going to have a chance to beat UConn. So it may as well be UCF, right? You're going to get one, at least two shots at him in the regular season. We'll so, see. I mean, who knows? I mean, it depends. I mean, how, you know, other places might have better resources, you know? I mean, who knows? Fair the, point. Maybe, uh, the good news is something to keep in mind. Unlike other sports, uh, the salaries for women's basketball at Florida and UCF are actually comparable. They are. <laughs> Which might, some people might not be, be surprised by that. Uh, Amanda Butler was making around 400000 according to reports, uh, at Florida, whereas according to reports, uh, I think Coach James ranked around three seventy five. dollars uh, you know, incentives, According et to reports. Yeah, yeah, various reports when people have come out with stories about this stuff, so and salary has been posted and all that stuff. So not as big as, say, other sports where there's a bigger gap there. Mm -hmm. So that helps, to your point. I don't think this would be a money situation unless that Strickland feels like he needs to make a big move and make spend more money on women's basketball. I don't know. Uh, that's up to them. Florida, it's unique at Florida because softball is the queen over there as far as their women's sports with their national championships, and they're actually right. expanding their softball stadium there uh, with facilities and stuff. And then – you have uh, women's soccer there, which has been a long-time tradition there with uh, Becky Burley, the head coach. And then Mary Wise, who you know very well with women's volleyball, has been there yep, forever. She's been there so for women's e forever and a half. Correct. So a lot of people would say that women's basketball at Gainesville, and people I've talked to up there, is number four 
from a women's sports standpoint. And that's not including gymnastics, which is as crazy as it's big in the I, SEC. I was just gonna I was just gonna mention gymnastics too, because you know, Florida yeah. has gotten very good at gymnastics and they have and they've sort of used to be, you know, Georgia and Alabama yeah. that were the two big gymnastics powers in terms of women's sports in the SEC. And Florida has now encroached upon their sort of uh, that sort of duopoly, if you will. And, um, and, and laugh all you want about gymnastics. They pack the place for gymnastics. They do. Yeah, no, people are into it. And their swimming program is very good. And women's tennis. I mean, just about everything in Florida is good because they have like a billion dollars from SEC networks and televisions and the SEC. I mean, it's good to be from that standpoint. So It's good to be uh, in the but SEC. What, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but the point is they've never really pushed the women's basketball. Uh, so that might help. Uh, from that standpoint, I, I don't think Coach A might go for that job if she ever does. I think if she were to leave, might be she might shoot for something higher, uh, so that might help. But I think her name is a rising star in the in the industry, don't you? Well, I mean, it's certainly going to rise now, considering what she's done at UCF, yeah. and people are going to start to look at you know, hey, she might have she might have figured out something about the secret sauce with UConn, and that's going to be an interesting test to see in the laboratory. I, I think that. Uh, she's going to want to get a couple more recruiting classes in and see if the gap closes a little bit. But obviously, I'd love to see Coach Abe stick around as long as humanly possible because I think that the excitement around UCF women's basketball has returned. And uh, and, and you know, like I said, you know, we got to get you, you got to give credit where credit's due. And it's a situation where you know she really didn't you know bring in that many new players. You know, like we've talked about before. And uh, and it's a total and it's credit to her job as a coach. And I hope that we get the chance to see what she's able to do another couple years on uh, in advance here at UCF, at least. No question about it. And uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think the immediacy will be that uh, I think she'll be coaching a women's NIT game. And I think hopefully probably at home. Exactly. So. All right. Let's switch gears over to uh, baseball. And we want to check up on baseball because, you know, this week they actually had. Another big midweek uh, double dip uh, where they had uh, Florida State coming in. Florida State obviously ranked, I think, number three was the highest that they were ranked in the night. Number two. Number, number two. two. I'm two. sorry. Okay. So uh, UCF falls to Florida State actually in both games. This is following the sweep against Stony Brook this, uh, this past week. Uh, they, uh, the Knights lose both games at home to Florida State, 5-2 uh, to two and then 5 to nothing. We're recording this on Wednesday night, March the 8th. And uh, the Knights lost the uh, the game earlier today, uh, five to nothing. Uh, Joe Sheridan fell to two and one on the season. But you know, the story here is that the Knights are eleven and three, even despite those two losses. They just never seem to get. Florida State always just seems to have our number. It feels like you know. Sometimes we'll get Florida, but Florida State seems to have our number. Um, yeah, that's true. Actually, I don't think uh, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. I don't think UCF has beaten Florida State in Orlando in baseball since like the mid '80s or some weird yeah. stat like that. Yeah. Now they've won some games at Dick Hauser, and they've obviously faced each other in regionals, so they've won some games here and there. But um, look, I was there. I was out there. I was there, especially Tuesday night. I was packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they said there was like thirty-two, thirty-three hundred. There were some people that thought there were more people than the Florida game, uh, which had thirty-eight hundred. Um, but Look, Florida State, first of all, Florida State's really good. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> Let's give credit. Like, they got some arms. I mean, and, and they're very talented and athletic. And, and I think this was a challenge for UCF. And, um, look, UCF, and in fact, Greg Lovelady said it best himself. I'm going to let him tell him tell you. Uh, 
UCF got exposed a little bit by Florida State and some of the things they're going to have to get better. Here's Love Lily explaining that. I talked to the guys and just told them, like, this is a good challenge for us. I mean, this is a really, really good team, Florida State. Uh, really, really talented. Um, and, uh, you know, I felt like it was a good way to grade ourselves out, and we didn't do a very good job. Um, and, uh, you know, these are the type of games you need to have. I mean, I'm happy. I mean, I'm not happy that we lost, but we got exposed a little bit on doing some different things, some base running things, some defensive things, uh, little things. I mean, we don't get behind a fly ball, and, and the guy takes an extra base on a bang bang play that we probably should have had. Um, obviously, made some base running blunders. You know, those things you get away with when you when you don't play good teams. Um, and when you play a great team, you got to make all those plays. You got to make. Um, you you got to you know almost play perfect. Um, and so I, we we showed some things that we really really need to work on, which is good. I'd rather learn that now than in 11 weeks in the conference tournament. So, um, you know, it's good. Um, you know, I know the, the kids are bothered and, and upset, and, and they should be. Um, but hopefully they come out tomorrow with a lot of energy and practice, and we try to fix some of the things that we're not doing a very good job of. There you go. And, and, and I, that's one thing I like, Jeff, about Coach Lovelady. He is not going to beat around the bush. He's going to be really candid. And, you know, he wasn't happy with their intensity the first night. Um, and he knows they got to get better. But as I said last week, after the Florida win, don't you know? Don't get overly excited. Don't print, you know, print tickets to Omaha and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm also going to caution and say, don't panic, don't bail either. Uh, they lost to a very talented Florida State team that that's going to be a contender for Omaha once again. They're going to contend for the ACC championship, uh, which has some tremendous arms. I was impressed with their arms. They're just they go deep arm wise. And look, UCF offensively, Jeff. I think that's the question. Um, I still feel pretty good about the arms that they have, uh, especially I think they got some good arms in the bullpen. It's just right now the offense is kind of and, – and, and even you heard Lovelady mention it. Offensively right now, they didn't really challenge Florida. They were overmatched. And I think there's some questions there where the offense is going to come from when they face good pitching. That was the issue last year. Keep that in mind. So let's not act right. like we're surprised by that. Well, they got three – just in time, they got three games against uh, Central Michigan – uh, coming up uh, Friday, another Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, uh, oh, by the way, make sure you hop on blackandgoldbanneret.com because uh, don't forget our friend, uh, our new friend, Brian Murphy, is joining us, and he's been writing up quite a bit of baseball. He's going to be looking back at the Florida State uh, matchup and uh, look ahead to Central Michigan and what's the story uh, with UC and, and keeping an eye on the story of UCF baseball and Greg Lovelady's first year here. Uh, moving through the entire way. So um, taking a look at – I'm actually pulling up uh, Central Michigan right now, and uh, they are 5-7 and seven on the season. Uh, they've lost to uh, – let's see, they, they've lost two out of three to East Tennessee State. They uh, Let's see, they split actually four games with Incarnate Word, uh, lost to Boston College, Villanova, and Northeastern. Uh, they beat something called Baldwin Wallace uh, in Georgetown. So uh, they so they've got three. So they're really really setting up the barn burners out there for cent- the Chippewas are. So they got the three. Baldwin against, Wallace. Yeah, I don't that know. is incredible. Did you know? Seriously, you just make that up, right? No, you just no, make no. That... That's no, that's for real. And in fact, after that the, offer? two days, yeah, <laughs> two days after they play us, they play something else called Mary Grove. Is that a street? Lo- uh, yeah, it's located in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Okay. Cool. So, uh, or excuse right. me, no, I'm sorry. That's a home game. That's a home game. They're playing uh, this thing called Mary Grove at uh, at at Central Michigan. So, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, 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 I'm interested to see what this team does in these next three games. They take care of business against Central yes. Michigan and uh, and put the Florida State game behind them. And then they got a, and then they got another midweek uh, against Bradley uh, coming up on March the 14th. That's a Tuesday. Tuesday night tilt, 6.30 p.m. So, uh, by the way, 6.30, 6.30, and 1, those three ga- games against Central Michigan, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, respectively. And something to keep in mind. In fact, I'll let Coach Lovelady explain it to himself. It's a long, long season, and it's better that the Knights kind of ex- find what they need to work on now than find this out during the conference tournament, as Coach Lovelady says here. We still got time between now and the conference tournament. Maybe just a little bit, uh, but not much. Um, we just got to get we got to get better at that um, and understanding that you know we're still we're still learning how to win these type of games and we're still growing up and and, and learning um, some of the things that we're going to need to be able to do to to win a conference championship and, and win games in a regional. So um, you know, we, we, again, we showed a lot of things that we need to work on and we're not nearly where we need to be. And I'm glad we got you know ten more weeks to figure it out. Quick, yeah, he's right about that. And a quick reminder, by the way, conference play starts the end of this month, March 31st. So it's going to be coming real quick, uh, fast and furious indeed. And then the, uh, you know, don't forget, you know, they then it's basically two months, uh, uh, and then you have the conference tournament at the end of uh, May in Clearwater. So, um, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. But hey, I, I can't complain too bad, too much about an 11, th- 11 and three start right now, especially when you started, you know, eleven and one. Uh, you know, and you and you lose two th- and the three games you lost were to in-state opponents that were ranked top five. Not bad. Speaking of long seasons, and we want to get in touch with this. Uh, and you and it's uh, it, it, here. Here's where your your specialty is going to come in, Eric. Softball. <laughs> um, yes. coming off of a uh, difficult game earlier today. Like I said, we were recording this on Wednesday, uh, March the eighth. Uh, UCF softball. This. Uh, Came up short against the. Don't uh, you know? Don't scoff at this because they they, they lost to James Madison nine to one earlier today. James Madison's a very good team. This coming on the heels of taking all three of their games uh, at the UCF Invitational over the weekend, defeating Providence twice, including a bizarre eleven to ten extra innings game that we were both at, Eric. Um, and then they beat Florida Gulf Coast on the Saturday five to three. And then beat Providence again, three to one on Sunday. But uh, uh, a weird week for UCF softball, wasn't it, Eric? I mean, that that first Providence game was just a bizarre game, and then this yeah. uh, James Madison team comes in, and uh, and they're pretty good. And they showed why, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go. I'll start with that mom. Uh, the 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 uh, Providence game you mentioned Friday that was unique. Eleven to ten ball game. Both teams had three Real errors in that game. It was it was yeah. it was one of the strangest softball games I've seen in quite some time, and very unique at UCF. Uh, you realize, you know, up until that point, that was like UCF's nine hundred and thirty fifth career a uh, game in program history. Nine hundred and thirty five. You know how many games? And I tweeted this out on Eric Lopezillo. You know how that 11 to 10 game, you know how many games UCF softball has been involved where both UCF and the other and the opponent scored 10 runs or more in the same game? You told me this. It was the first one, wasn't it? No, it was the fourth. Fourth, fourth okay. time in 935 games. That that's both happened. games have that both teams have scored yeah. double digits. Correct. UCF, uh, the most recent one was in 2013 when they played in Las Vegas. UCF lost to UNLV 12 to 10. Anybody that's been to Las Vegas, the ball jumps out in Las Vegas. Right. Well, you're uh, a mile they, high in the air anyway. With, exactly. Uh, the right. Height, so, yeah. Correct. 
One of the other games they played was in 2010 at UTEP. Speaking of which, with the altitude in El Paso, the ball, it's like Coors. I've been to El Paso in that stadium. It's like the Coors Field of uh, college softball. The ball jumps out of there. And UCF won that game 12 to 10. The only other game they had at home was against Monmouth in 2011, when it was an 11 to 10 ball game. That's it. Every other game, uh, those are the four games that had two teams score over 10 runs or more. You asked me this question too. The most runs, by the way, that UCF has been in a has ever been involved with in a game combined was 25 runs back in 2004 in the ASUN Conference Series when UCF was at Belmont. And UCF won 18 to 7, 25 runs. So that's the right. highest scoring team. I know you asked me that in the press right. box, and I looked it up. I know, that our, I know that our all time high for points in a game, or points, runs in a game was 23 against 24. Uh, 24, 24, Morris 24, Brown. Morris Brown. Against yeah. Morris Brown. Yeah, I remember, I actually remember that series. I think, I think I may have even done a couple of those games back in the day. No worry about that game. Yeah, Pisces right. Simmons, a perfect game. Yeah, so, um, but, you know, again, it was a weird game, but I was glad to see that they, you know, they recovered pretty quickly and they beat, they, they beat Florida Gulf Coast out of the A-Sun. Yeah, yeah, pretty good Florida Gulf Coast team that won yep. the regular season at the A-Sun. Beat Providence again. And the thing that was resilient about the team, they, they came back. The point is, whether it be the Providence game or the Florida Gulf Coast, they responded when the other team responded. So it was a back and forth. So they were able to fight back. And so it was a very successful weekend. Aaliyah White, 4-0 last week. Uh, was tremendous. James Madison, they just ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, yeah. Matt, you know, Megan Good, young pitcher, uh, who's right now number one in the country in ERA. Her ERA coming into this game was a .19. She's only given up two runs. In fact, uh, she's currently on something now up to like 55 to 60 inning scoreless inning streak going. Hmm. Uh, not only is she arguably – the best pitcher in the country. She might be one of the top five players in the country, period, because she can hit. She had a two-run homer in UCF. It really set the tone. She had four RBIs. Uh, she's a stud player. She's going to be up for player of the year candidate. Uh, and, and James Madison's a team that went was a win away from the Women's College World Series last year, and they're going to be a legitimate contender again with her uh, this year. So you ran into a buzzsaw in her, and that's, a, you know, unfortunately, Jeff, as we talked about, this team is young. You got nine freshmen uh, seven true freshmen on the roster, nine total if you include Autumn Gillespie and Tamisha Glover, who are redshirt freshmen, who both of them sat out last year. Autumn, due to injury during the season, Tamisha just sat out, period, just a redshirt. Um, it's a young team. And as you know, being around a bunch of teams, when you have a young team, you're going to have your ups, which are going to be very high. And then you're going to have some lows, like you did against James Madison, where they just were out, you know, they didn't play well, quite frankly. And I think they'd be right. the first to tell you. So. Uh, you got to put it behind you. You throw it out the, the, the garbage, as they like to say. And you now got to focus on a weekend because you've got a pretty good Ohio State team from the Big Ten coming in. And mm-hmm. you got top 20 ranked Georgia highlighting the field there and an, an improved Mercer team as well. Yeah, this is the Wilson D. Marini tournament. We got five games coming up in three days. Uh, the doubleheader on Friday is going to be Ohio State and then Delaware State for UCF. Saturday, Georgia at 3 p.m., Mercer following that. And then one game against Mercer, 1.30 p.m. on Sunday. So very busy uh, weekend for UCF. And then they follow that up with a doubleheader on Tuesday against Iowa State coming into town. Uh, so it's going to be uh, – so that's that's seven huge games um, in five days, Eric. Is that right? So, um, so yeah. This it's is a, lot of, it's yep, a lot, of lot of softball. It's a lot of softball, And this is where the season's really going to start picking up. So 
All right, let's flip over real quick to uh, tennis. And men's tennis uh, actually came up with a big victory actually just in the last couple of hours. They, um, it was a big event down at the USTA National Campus. And, Eric, we've talked about how, how cool this kind of stuff would be when we get the chance to do this. It was uh, college match day at the, um, at the USTA campus. They had a bunch of college matches going on at the same time. One of them was against Penn State, UCF against Penn State, and the Knights get the win. Over Penn State, it was uh, it was actually televised on ESPN three, which is pretty cool. And uh, UCF gets the win, so uh, the men's tennis team right now is at uh, seven and four. Uh, and they uh, what do they have here? So they've got um, so that's a big one over a Big Ten opponent. Now they've got a match against Tulsa coming up on Friday, so their schedule is picking back up. Right? They uh, they beat Davidson six to one. Um, they knocked out. Uh, they knocked off Penn State, and they're going to be playing against uh, Tulsa and South Alabama, and uh, uh, or yeah, Tulsa and South Alabama coming up at the USTA National Campus. But this is pretty cool. I love the fact that that we're able to do these kinds of things at the national uh, campus, um, and 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 that sort of makes the um, it, it just gives the UCF tennis so much more gravity, doesn't it? There's UCF against Penn State. Um, followed by uh, you know Florida and Florida State, uh, and then the um, and then the uh, Florida uh, women's team will be playing um, uh, a little bit against number three Ohio State. That'll be later on this week. But you know, hey, two big you know two big matchups you know in state, and UCF gets the win over Penn State. Man, that's pretty cool. It's the beauty of being in that new place, man. People will come, right? If you build it, they will come. And the uh, I think it's an attractive place for teams to come and play. And uh, I don't know how, but we, we both got to head out there. We've been invited uh, multiple I times. I feel bad that we haven't been out there. I, I We really owe an apology to everyone who's out there who, yes. who we haven't been. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Right. It's got to ha- It's going to happen. We don't know when, but it's going to happen. Uh, we'll, we'll make something work because uh, I've, I've talked to people that have gone there are not even tennis fans, and they said it's an incredible place. Uh, so it, it definitely uh, it's a it's a it's a must. I think on the really on the must do's list. Yeah, I got it. I got I I owe I owe Bridget Gale uh, because she uh, and Brian Ormiston incidentally because they both been like you guys got to come <laughs> down here, and uh, and so I'm hoping that we'll get the chance. So by the way, Friday, March the 10th, or the women's team. By the way, uh, they've got. Uh, three matches coming up uh, through actually, no, two matches coming up this weekend. Thursday against Furman, Friday against South Alabama uh, at the USTA um, as well. They also got Tulsa coming up, but that's not until uh, March the 18th. Got a couple of um, road matches against uh, Tulane and Rhode Island, both of those in New Orleans uh, coming up as well. Flipping over to golf, just a quick update for you. The men's team, uh, they have basically almost a month off. They, um, they finished up the uh, the hate tournament. That's H A Y T, uh, hosted by um, Florida. Uh, excuse me, by Florida Gulf Coast down at Ponte Vedra Beach. They've tied for third in that uh, tournament, uh, and they have basically almost a month off before they play at the uh, FAU Sloman Autism Invite, which will be down in Lake Worth in Palm Beach County, March twenty fourth through the twenty sixth. Women's team, uh, incidentally. Uh, also has quite a bit of time off uh, after they were in the All-State Sugar Bowl Classic. Uh, this weekend, actually, they are at the Lady Gator Invitational in Gainesville. Two-day tournament, Saturday and Sunday. So be on the lookout uh, for that 
as well. All right, and then, Eric Lopez, we really have the sports equinox hitting in full stride because we have a track and field meet next weekend, March 17th and 18th, uh, the UCF Black and Gold Challenge. Uh, and then, also, rowing gets started uh, it, or, or with, a, with an actual home meet. Um, they were in the uh, Metro Cup uh, earlier this month, or earlier last week, against uh, hosted by Winter, uh, Rollins over at Winter Park. And uh, at the UCF Intercollegiate Rowing Center over at Lake Pickett, uh, UCF will have a meet with uh, UConn, Jacksonville, and Nova Southeastern on St. Patrick's Day, Friday, March the 17th. So it's literally everything is happening on St. Patrick's Day this year, <laughs> March 17th. So uh, it's going to be, a, uh, it's gonna be a, a wild couple of weekends here. And it may get even wilder with uh, college basketball. Uh, firing up, and hopefully we can see some more postseason coming up for uh, UCF men's and women's basketball. So you know we can't leave though before we move to the big news in the uh, NFL. That's right. I want I forgot to UCF. mention this. Uh huh. You're a beloved Giants fan. Yes. And they just signed Brandon Marshall from UCF, who you covered. Yep, covering him from, from you know through through 2004. He was what is it? Oh three and oh four was was uh, his first two years at UCF, uh, and was it oh three over? I can't remember, but um, but yeah, Brandon Marshall's a giant. He was a Jet the last two years. Actually, had a career year in twenty fifteen with the Jets, uh, but now is uh, he, you know he they signed him to a two year twelve million dollar deal. He'll be on the other side. Of uh, uh, of of the formation from Odell Beckham Jr. The Giants let go um, Victor Cruz, incidentally. Um, who you know, I mean, the fact that Victor Cruz made it back from that awful knee injury that he had was um, was pretty remarkable. But um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm listen. I am always happy when the Giants have a UCF player. I think he's the, if I'm not mistaken, he's the first UCF Knight to play for the Giants since Darcy Johnson. If I'm if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, or you're the Giants fan, if anybody right. would know, it would be you. That would be yeah. you if he would. Uh, Dar- Darcy was Darcy was there. The Giants actually drafted Darcy, and he actually had a couple co- cup of coffees, uh, cups of coffee with the Giants. Um, and I remember I he came over to campus one time, and I met him. He was uh, shooting something for a TV show. He had just finished his rookie year, and I remember it was the first time that I'd actually seen him like outside of a football uniform outside you know because he was he had just started at UCF when I was a student you know doing student radio stuff and I was like and, and I, I you know I sat him down and 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 we were doing an interview I was just and it's funny I, I'll actually have to find it because there's a photo somewhere about it and um, Darcy uh, someone else was hosting this interview I was actually uh, on the crew for this interview but Darcy like completely dwarfed the other person in the frame he's he's so big uh, and and I love Darcy for uh, so you know I mean he was so kind and and nice in that interview and actually after and I told him I said I said you know Darcy I'm a big Giants fan you know that so I'm glad that we have you he's like he's like really no kidding come on over here so he we walked over to his car over by the Wayne Dench Center and uh, and he insisted I was like I can't do this man he's like no 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 come here and uh, and he had and he handed me an autographed uh, photo of him in a Giants uniform and. Uh, and I still have that. I have it hanging here in my office. It's one of my. Um, it's it's actually one of my one of my <laughs> few like 
memorabilia sort of prize possessions that I really um, that I really enjoy. So I'm glad Brandon's at UCF now because you know Brandon and Darcy were teammates back in the day, and Brandon Brandon's getting up there. He's 32 now. I'm 33, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping that um, that he you know he, that he has a big year for the Giants, and I think that I think there's no reason to think that he shouldn't with that with that with the offense that they run with Ben McAdoo and. Eli Manning's getting up there. I know the Giants want to make one more year, uh, one yep. more make at least one more run at the Super Bowl, and and I think if they're going to do it, it's going to be on the uh, on the back of a really high powered offense. And when you have Odell Beckham on one side, you have Brandon Marshall on the other, who's basically going to be the possession receiver, which seems kind of unbelievable when you think about it. But um, I think he's going to help out Eli tremendously. Now we got to go get a running back. Well, by the way, Darcy Johnson played for the Giants from 06 to 09. Yep. Uh, other UCF players that have played for the Giants, a little more of a cup of coffee type of guys. Uh, Travante Johnson. Yep, Travante uh, was, on the, was on the roster, I think, in a preseason. Yep, 07. Uh, Michael Greco That's was right. with the Greco, Giants uh, see, 2010 I as a free they, agent. They, were, defensive they gave back. him a shot. Yeah, they gave Greco a shot as a safety. That's right. Uh, Steve Edwards, 06 and 07 with the Giants, offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, Joe Burnett had a cup of coffee in 2011 trying to make it with the Giants after playing the first two years with the Steelers. Remember, he was yeah. drafted in the fifth round by the Steelers, and after two years he tried to make it on with the Giants. I think uh, it was and, after that that Joe went to the uh, Jaguars. Went to the, he went, went to the Jaguars. Oh, went to the Jaguars. Yeah, the, but then he, he moved uh, over to I'm, the no, I'm CFL. Sorry, I'm and sorry. Been... No, actually, I misspoke. He didn't go to the Jaguars. He went to the Jacksonville Sharks of the Arena Football That's League. Right. But then but then he jumped up to the CFL and he said, yes. "Listen, yes. you want to be proud of a guy who's really made made something out of his pro football career? Go look up what Joe Burnett has done in the CFL because he has had one hell of a career in the CFL." Correct. A uh, heck of a career there. Yeah. So, uh Leisure Doosable played 2 years with the Giants, yep, 08 Lizay, and 09. Yep, Lizay was up there, the- but that was before he got really good. <laughs> Well, you let him go early. That's your right. fault. Yep. Uh, but yeah, no, be, uh, you know, and then also one of my favorites, Sharif Rashad had a cup of coffee with yes. the Giants defensive back. Oh, nine and oh, 10. So you've had a few. You've had a few. Yeah, we've had a few uh, there. There was uh, you know, everyone. I was always happy to see the New York Giants scout kind of scout kind of scouring the <laughs> uh, UCF press box back in the day. And uh, um, that was always that was always good to see. You know, I was like, okay, we know that we, I know that the Giants are around. And whenever there was a UCF guy who went for the Giants, I was always happy. So, uh, and Brandon Marshall has a chance to be the most successful UCF Giant. At least Here's I the burning so. question. The okay. burning question. Hot, controversial question. Where does Brandon Marshall rank all time as far as the best uh, wide receiver rankings in UCF football history? All right. Now, here's, here's my question. How are yeah. we going to measure this? Are, are we going to are we measuring this by his UCF career or by yeah yeah his yeah? Let's go with UCF. Just go career. with UCF. UCF. Obviously, if you include the pro career, I think Marshall and made Sean Jefferson right. I, uh, I think Brandon Marshall takes it hands down over as Jefferson good, easily over Sean. As, as good as Sean was uh, and as durable a career as he had, Brandon Marshall's an All Pro. He's you know for his time, right. he's one of the three best receivers in the NFL. When you when you when you kind of have like when you're when you have like the championship belt at some point, which I think Brandon certainly did it's at a few couple points in his career, um 
yeah, you're the guy from that school. In terms of the best UCF wide receiver ever? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's a fun one, right? I mean, obviously, you were there. We were there when Marshall was there. His last game was well, the uh, yeah, Hawaii right. Bowl. Right, his last game. Uh, Boy, did he make himself a lot of money and, in that and, game because Stephen Moffat just said, I'm going to throw the ball to Brandon Marshall on that last drive to try and tie the game. <laughs> and, and that's where the real legend of Brandon Marshall started. But I remember when Brandon was actually – playing both ways because we yeah, ran out of guys in the defense. He was a starting defensive back. Yeah, he yeah. was a starting and defensive back, and he played on offense because he was yep. because they were so shorthanded. Such an incredible t- combo with him and Mike Sims-Walker. You know, Mike, unfortunately, had injuries that really kind of hurt his career yeah. in the NFL. Uh, but B, B Martin, I mean, Brandon's probably uh, – you're right. I mean, he's probably, I mean, you look at right, he's probably the face of the football program. I know people are going to say Blake Bortles right now, but Blake had a, a really a tough year uh, in Jacksonville, and certainly people are questioning his future there. Latavius Murray had a nice year. Well, it's a very the free agency big. We got a couple of nights, uh, Latavius Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what he ends up, free agent. And, of course, A.J. Boye is going to be a rich man. Yes, he uh, is. Everybody wants his services. How about him? Uh, he's an incredible. We'll get to him in a second. But, yeah, best wide receiver, UCF football history. I, um, Brandon's the take? best I've seen. Brandon's the best I've seen. And it's close with him and Mike Walker, to be honest. With you. Hard to believe that we had them both at the same time. Um, Doug Gabriel's up there, uh, certainly, from what I saw. But, um, but Brandon was the best guy, was the best wide receiver wearing the black and gold that I ever saw. And I think if you, if you want to know why... Go back and look at that last drive against um, uh, uh, who was it that we played in the in the Hawaii Bowl that year? Was it? Um, I forget who it was. Gosh, I can't believe I even forget Nevada, Nevada, Nevada Reno. That's right. Go back and look at that game and look at that last possession after the after we got the, uh, the and really the two possessions on either side of that onside kick and and into the overtime, and you'll see why Brandon Marshall is why he gets my vote. What about you? Well, let's first pay respect to the man who, and this is the guy that really should be answering this question. And maybe we can get him in the spring or something. Mm-hmm. Sean Beckton. Yes. Probably yeah. knows a lot more than you and I do because either. Uh, uh, whenever a, we a get Sean to himself. answer that question, I will <laughs> defer to his, I will defer to his expertise. Right, because think about it. First of all, he's a Hall of Fame player in his own right, so he can make an argument for himself if he wants right. to, right? <laughs> and then, But second of all, he's coached the majority of all these guys. He's coached them all, yep. most of them. Uh, and so he, he would be the guy I would ask for that. So he needs to be in the list, right? He needs to be in that list. He's got uh, to be up there. Um, uh, I, I would say – you know, and I'm trying to think the top of my head. It's funny I asked the question. It, it's a that's why I asked it. It's fact I, I agree. I think Brandon Marshall is way, is up there. Has to be up there. Uh, super talented uh, from that standpoint. I'll, the, I'll the go t- with I'll go with all. Marshall Walker and Gabriel. One two three. I mean Sean Jefferson. I didn't see, but he was tremendous. Yeah. Um, you know, Sean Becton speaks for himself. I'm uh, interestingly, Becton's in the Hall of Fame. So is Sean Jefferson, by the way. I'm, I'm looking actually to see which wide receivers to this point. And granted, it's a young Hall of Fame uh, list. Those are the two guys uh, that I see from a receiving standpoint that are in the Hall of Fame uh, at this point. I'll, I'll give you a name. I'll throw some names. I don't think he's the best one, but I'll give you some guys I enjoyed watching. Jimmy Frisell. 
Yes. Was really good. Late nineties, man. That was fun. JJ Wharton, all the stuff that he did for UCF yeah. throughout his career. I think. Uh, Sia, uh, uh, Sia Burley was yep. very good. Had a really good arena football career with the Orlando Predators, among others. Uh, in there uh, was a very good uh, receiver that that I enjoyed watching. Um, you know, Bashad Bashad Perriman was fascinating, right? He, he just kind of. Uh, had the you know some big catches. Obviously, Hale Perriman at ECU. Mm-hmm. I don't think though the full body of work makes him the greatest receiver ever. But well, certainly, I think the jury's out on him because the jury's been out on his pro career to this point. But I'm hopeful that well, he'll just, be I'm healthy. Talk, right, right. He'll he'll hopefully get healthy and and he'll have a good college. Uh, he had a good college career uh, as well. Doug Gabriel, by the way, good choice. Good, good. Glad you mentioned he was dynamic uh, back in those days there. Um, but, man, I, I think I kind of have to agree. I feel like I would go with Brandon Marshall. I want people – this is what I want. See, I brought this up for a reason. I want people to tweet out or Facebook because we do get Good that call. from time to time. And I want them to throw out who do they think is the best wide receiver in UCF football history. Throw it out there to us. And we will read your comments in future episodes if you give a good answer. And also, someone find me that last drive against Nevada in the Hawaii Bowl because that was a that was a masterpiece by Brandon Marshall, no question about it. So, cool. He stuff, was tremendous, man. tremendous. Now to the other quick free agents. I mentioned Bouye, AJ Bouye, big money. Did you think he would be this good of a in the NFL to the point where he's going to get you know paid a lot of money? Yeah. And he's a Pro Bowl guy now. He's going to be a Pro Bowl type player uh, for AJ Bouye. Um, and he had a very good career. I mean, secondary, you know, we're talking about wide receivers. UCF has a great tradition in the secondary. Yes, an even better tradition in the secondary, I think, than even at the wide receiver position. Yeah, even going absolutely. Back to, um, going back to Travis Fisher, who's now coaching at UCF, I remember when he was drafted, and we were so happy to see one UCF player drafted in the NFL draft, just hear a guy call his name. And uh, and UCF's tradition, you know, even you know, going back, you know, obviously Asante Samuel, who was who was at the who had the I at one point, you know, I like to think of guys as having like the championship belts at, yeah. at certain positions in the NFL. And there's and and Asante had the had the NFL defensive back championship belt there for a while. Um, Atari Bigby had a couple productive yeah, years in the great, NFL. Can't forget that. Great play, great play. We mentioned uh, we mentioned Joe Burnett. Um, and the successful career that he's had as a Josh Robinson, Josh is Robinson, in the NFL. and, and he how about can, Jacoby Glenn? Jacoby Glenn, who, who was not drafted, right. uh, who was the, well who was the defensive player of the year in the conference, remember, and then didn't yep. get drafted. And remember, O'Leary wasn't all that happy about him coming out early. Well, right, he was right. It was a bad advice. He got bad right. advice. He should have stayed another year. He probably would have gotten drafted. But to his uh, credit, right. to his credit, he fought through. And he's and I think now he's found himself a pretty good spot. But AJ, yeah, I mean, and it's kind of hidden down in Houston for a while. But now uh, there's a report in the Houston Chronicle saying that his offers are averaging twelve million or higher. I mean, goodness <laughs> me! I mean, that's you know, and you know, I, I it's the the question is always like, did you think he'd be that good? No, I mean, I don't think anyone thought that that you know, I don't think anyone thinks that any of these guys would be you know, that quote, that good, end quote, whatever that means. I'm just glad that it's happening to AJ because he totally deserves it. He's worked very hard since he came. He was a hard worker at UCF. He was, it was even, and he's continued that work ethic um, at the pro level. And I'm really happy for him. I think he really, I think he deserves that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, young guy from Tucker, Georgia. 
moving on up in the NFL. I'm glad to see him. I mean, it, I'm glad to see him having such you know, having such tremendous success because you see these guys sort of realize their potential and it's it's fun because we see them, you know, when they come in and they were what, you know, 18, 19 year old kids. And now the and now AJ is going to be a multimillionaire and that's awesome. That is incredible. He was undrafted. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it just tells you that, uh, you know, first of all, scouts in 2013, you know, it's amazing what, and, and I think that blows me away. I think that's part of it. Like I, I love guys like that who kind of have the chip on their shoulder because I know for a fact that AJ Boye looking at when he was not drafted in 2013, basically looked around and said, okay, whatever team I sign with, they're the only one out of the 32 teams that is not going to pay for what for for me not getting drafted, and I love guys who have that sort of work ethic, that chip on his shoulder, and and he's never and he's never let up since, and he deserves that. And we're probably going to be adding another defensive back here in the NFL after what we just saw in the combine. You saw who had one of the best NFL uh, combines. Yeah, Shaquille Griffin, four three eight in the forty. Lord in heaven, Jack. that's faster than I, I, I think he, I, he really outdid himself in that on Monday. I mean, he was had a great vertical, too. We had yeah. a great vertical, too. Uh, he might have the fastest defensive back time. Wow. In, in the field, fourth himself, fastest. I think he made some, himself some money. It reminds me a lot of Josh Robinson, who had a tremendous combine and really, you know, jumped in the draft because mm-hmm. of that. Uh, could be the same for Mr. Griffin there. So uh, the yeah. tradition continues, man. That's why I kind of wanted to bring that up because. Uh, even though it's the offseason football, it, it, it's it's amazing that some of the bigger offseason football storylines, Jeff, UCF's involved in it. Yeah, the pros. UCF fast, baby. That's what it's all about. So <laughs> that should be fun. What do you have coming up this week? Well, I have obviously uh, Tuck and O'Neill got softball this weekend, uh, but certainly I'm excited because you're going to be filling in for me on softball on Friday. That's right. I will be uh, filling in for you on for the two softball games on Friday, uh, and it's uh, who, who Ohio State Delaware right. Ohio State. State Delaware State. Sorry about that. For some reason, for some reason, I had Georgia on my mind, and I flash back to that's Saturday. I get the Saturday game. I get the right. Saturday game there for there. But yeah, Ohio State and Delaware State. You'll be on the call on Knights TV. Uh, you could watch that all over. There are a lot of devices, right? Yeah, it'll be all over the place. UCFKnights.tv is where you especially want to catch it. And it'll be good working with the folks from UCF Video once again, who are the best in the business uh, at that. So, and thanks to you for letting me actually fill in for you. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Obviously, I got commitment uh, with my radio, the radio show, Tuck and O'Neill, that I'm doing. So, uh, so you're stepping in. I appreciate that very much. It'll be exciting. You know, you'll do a great job. I mean, you've called soft. I mean, you used to call softball back in the day, so it's not right. like it's a fourth thing to you. I'm, I'm used uh, to I'm used to actually doing softball on a tape delayed basis back in the day when we did. Well, have this a live ain't tape coming out of there. <laughs> this is this, <laughs> this is live, live, baby. This is live yeah. and on video. Yeah, no editing on this one. Uh, so yeah, no, you'll have some fun with that. So as we wrap things up, hey, once again, we want to send a special thank you to Taylor Young for uh, for coming on our show. Uh, you can follow him at Taylor B Young on Twitter. And uh, also follow Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo and follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Don't forget to go to blackandgoldbanneret.com for uh, all for some of the latest news on our podcast and also uh, Brian Murphy's uh, uh, baseball analysis as well. We thank Brian. We'll have him on the show soon enough uh, once baseball season 
uh, as baseball season continues here. Don't forget to hit us up on uh, Facebook as well, at Black and Gold Banneret. You can also subscribe to uh, us via email at blackandgoldbanneret.com and subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. And do us a favor. Uh, send us or, or give us a rating on iTunes. I think we only have, I think, Eric, check me on this. I think we only have one person who's rated us so far on iTunes. And we thank that person for their, uh, for their rating. But we'd love to see a few more out there uh, just to let, and, and tell your friends, tell your UCF friends uh, uh, about the show and let them know um, that, uh, that we, you know, that we're out here and we're, uh, and we do this for you guys. We certainly don't do it for us. We do it for you guys. And one last note, Eric, before we get going, congratulations to our buddies, uh, Trace Trilco and Andrew Fegley on 100 shows on the Nightline podcast. I wanted to get that out there and wish them a congratulate, a hearty congratulations from the two of us. And hopefully we'll be getting there pretty quickly since we're already in the thirties, Eric. Yeah, I, uh, it was funny. I hung out with Trace at the Florida State game. He asked me when he's going to come on the show, and I told him, well, you know, the problem is Jeff keeps ducking you, Trace, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Trace, uh, I promise you you're going to get you. I'm going to get them on. No, he's gonna, uh, we're going to get the two of them on at one point. I think it's going to be fun. Maybe we'll do something. We, we got, we got a huge summer. Com- we got a huge summer coming up. We got um, you know, where we're going to be begging for storylines, so we'll try and we'll, we'll, we'll try and get them on, I think, at the very you know what we gotta latest do. We got to do. Well, we got to do because Trace has got that game. He, I told you about this in the previous podcast. He's got this game and that he does with his buddies at basketball, where like whoever gets the highest score gets a certain amount of points, and they have this contest. We got to come up with a contest where we do something with them, and uh, whether it be I don't know if we can do it in football. It's tricky in football if we just pick, pick a skill position player to have a good game, a fantasy thing. I don't know. Maybe we could do it next year in basketball or something. But uh, we, we need to have a little con- a fun little deal there maybe online we can uh, follow through the year. Because I can tell you, having sat with him, that was kind of fun. <laughs> it was fun to be around him in the basketball game as that was going on. Because he was trying to uh, hope that uh, Nick Banyer would score so he could get a point and win his contest. <laughs> and I know that they do that uh, other stuff. So, yeah, we could do something with those guys and uh, maybe throughout the year and uh, do some little uh, contest between them. But, uh, yeah, we'll definitely get him on at some point. We'll figure uh, out. Okay. Uh, Congratulations once again to Trace and Andrew. So as we wrap up here, once again, for Eric Lopez, and once again, a hearty thank you to Taylor Young for joining us. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Catch you again next week. Next week.